This episode and every episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show is brought to you by Ironmonger Brewing. Visit Ironmonger at their tap room in Marietta, Georgia, or online at ironmongerbrewing.com. Open up a tab, grab a seat, and pour a pint. It's time for the Beer Guys Radio Show. You want free beer? Go to the brewery. Dedicated to the art, science, and enjoyment of craft beer. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Brian Hewitt. And welcome to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We're broadcasting from the Beer Guys Radio Studios in Marietta, Georgia. This is episode number 204, and we're talking with Brewlosophy this week. I'm Tim Dennis, and with me as always is my good friend and co-host, Brian Hewitt. Hey, Tim. So joining us today, we have Marshall Schott, the owner, lead host, and editor-in-chief of Brewlosophy and the Brewlosophy podcast. We're going to talk about homebrewing and experimentation and also ex-beer imitation, Tim. Marshall, thank you for joining us. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. We're looking forward to talking experimentation because we like both experiments in beer and I'm guessing that's a mix of the two there, right? Well, it's it's a mix of the two that I uh, that I started using up front, and then you can't change something, you know, once it gets kind of set in stone. So yes, but it is a mix of experiment with beer. We do a lot of experimentation with beer. Uh, yeah, and I'm excited to talk to you guys about it as well. Awesome, man. It's going to be a great time. Great time. Now, how's your week going? How are things out there in beautiful California? Beautiful is usually the case. Uh, today is the day where I think is the first day, in fact, uh, where we have had more clouds than we have sunshine. So it's a bit of a bummer for a sun lover like me, but uh, that's what good beer is for. So I'm sitting here drinking an English porter that uh, that I made myself. There you go, man. Now, what part of California are you in? So I live in Central California. It's a, a city called Fresno. Pretty big. Okay. Yeah, sure. yeah, a little bit different than the coast in many ways. But yeah, we have a good time here. Sounds like it. Plenty of beer, right? There's a lot of beer going around this town. That's for sure. Drinking Stop, that man. liquid sunshine when it's cloudy. Liquid yeah. sunshine. Yes. Bring it that's in. That's right. Now, Brian, we've had some cold, gray, rainy days here. We've had a little bit of sun, but it's been a little bit cool, but we've made the best of it, right? Yes. We, we actually timed it out good this past weekend. When it was pouring down, raining a little bit cool, we showed up to a really awesome event right as the clouds cleared out. I'd like to and say that sunshine. we helped clear the we clouds. Brought, yes, we, brought we brought the, the sunshine sun. yes. there, absolutely. We went to Three Taverns, six, sixth anniversary party, went down there and celebrated with them, had a good time, uh, drinking all the beers, Brian. And that Every for the people that go and say the only beers being released are IPAs, because I think that's what a lot of people notice. It's the, what do they call it, confirmation bias? There may be another term for it. but it's, I think that's right. Marshall, yeah. you're a scientific guy. You may know this. What's it called when you convince yourself something is around more than it is just because you notice it? <laughs> I mean, in many is ways, that, that is confirmation bias. And my second job, or my, my real first job, actually, is as a psychologist. Uh, okay. And so I've stu- studied that kind of stuff quite a bit. Uh, yeah, confirmation bias. Also, just when you expect something, it's I forget the exact term, but like when you buy a car that you don't think anyone else drives, the next thing you right. know, it's all you see. That was exactly what I was going to say. I've noticed that anytime I've bought a new car, I'm like, you don't see many of those. And it seems like every other car. That's right. Is, yeah, is that car. I did that with with that uh, stone paint job that I'd never noticed before. And then, then they're everywhere, and everywhere. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> yeah. I think it happens to all of us. Once you mentally notice that it, it's there. But, right. But Brian, it's not all IPAs out there. And no. Three Taverns proves that their tap list is just amazing with everything from Pilsners. Uh, they had a rice lager on with some green tea action going in there. Uh, fruited sours, multi beers, hoppy beers. Everything that you could want, just a cornucopia of flavor, right? And ample just drinking beers. So if you wanted a drinking beer, the the line was special for that 
was very short. So you could, you know, you could wait for the really exotic sours and some of the, the, the big dark barrel aged beers, but uh, you just want something. A just want a good beer, man. You're yeah, good to go, you could, right? You could run up there and get one real quick. What was your winner of the day? What was the standout for you? I think the one that really, uh, that really made a mark with me was that slice, the key lime pie sour. But uh, I was very much in love with both the German chocolate Helm's Deep and the vanilla maple Helm's Deep. I like them both. Same beer base, but uh, the treatments made it considerably different. So The vanilla maple was my standout for the day. I really enjoyed that one. I love maple in a big stout anyhow. Give me some barrel. Give me some maple. I'm happy, Brian. I'm yeah. a simple man. Simple man. Barrel and maple. That's, That's a, good. a barrel That's of maple. A barrel yes. of maple will be it. fine. And then Sunday we road trip. We went up to Tennessee. We went to a little place called Dayton, Tennessee, which I was informed was just a little ways outside of Chattanooga. That's obviously a relative term depending on who you are because I felt like we drove forever <laughs> yes. past Chattanooga. <laughs> we did finally make it up there to Monkey Town Brewing. And something I found out once we got there because they had signs and posters on the wall, Dayton, Tennessee are where the Scopes Monkey Trial took place. And you weren't familiar with that, right, Brian, no, with the Scopes I, Trials? I think I'd heard about it or something like I knew it had something to do with evolution, I thought, but right. I didn't know specifics. I think exactly. it was taught in a class. Marshall, are you familiar with the Scopes Trials? I'm absolutely not familiar with the Scopes Trials. Okay. It was, uh, I forget the guy's name. Uh, I think it was Scopes, John T. Scopes something or something like, like that. Versus the state of Tennessee. And it was about teaching evolution in the classroom. Huh. And he was, he was prosecuted for this in a really weird, complex case that got national attention. But apparently they had no proof, and he didn't even recall ever teaching evolution in the classroom. But he decided, he's like, you know what? This would be good publicity for the town. I'm going to say I did it. So he went and did it, big case. And it, the finishing to this story is it was overturned, but he was originally convicted. But the judge apparently all but directed the jury to convict him. So it's you know what? Check out Wikipedia. We'll put a link in our show put notes link, this yeah. week. Kind of an interesting it show trial. It's, it's promotional material. But you know what, Tim? I think we should talk about the beers of the week. Crack open a cold one. It's the Truck and Tap Beer of the Week. Craft beer and food trucks in downtown Woodstock. Truckandtap.com. Well, Brian, as always, we have a fantastic list of beers to drink. Speaking of Monkey Town, we've got one from Monkey Town. We have one called Not Fat, Just Fluffy, which is a fluffernutter stout, which was really nice. We have tried that. We brought some back to share. Right now, Brian, we're going through the Terrapin. Uh, the Terrapin pack of beers, hemp beers, the dispensary, the dispensary pack, pack of beers. We're currently on Dancing Gummy Bear, which is a cherry Berliner Weiss. We're going to get into Magic Brownie, which is a hemp brownie L, and the Jazz Cabbage Hemp IPA. Uh, all these hemp beers, man, you can go through all of them. I know when I opened the Dancing Gummy Bear that it just was a blast of hemp yeah. <laughs> to your nostrils there. That's right. Uh, not a lot on the flavor, but there's a lot of aroma going on in that that's what we're going to get into we'll see what else we've got i think we've got one from orpheus they released last weekend called when all goes black my shadow seeks me which is a black coconut milk stout we've dipped into that before we know it's good that's a good beer for this show because that's a very experimental process it is we'll tell that. you about that yeah. one later marshall it's a fun story on that one but yeah. brian what's happening this week in the news what's in the news the beer guys have the scoop extra, extra, read all about it. time for headlines so this week, we learned that a brewery in Canada lost $2.1 million in a, quote, social engineering cyber attack, unquote. The brewery in question is Waterloo Brewing Company. And what makes this different than some of the other hacks we've heard about in the news is there apparently really wasn't much in the way of computer hacking involved. None of the uh, brewery's computer systems were breached, so they have, they're have not really worried about any of the user accounts or anything associated with it. And after reading the stories about it, it sounds a lot less dramatic than the headline. 
So it really sounds like there was probably it went down like your classic e- email fraud scam, perhaps with some more sophisticated people behind the scam. But uh, basically, somebody impersonated an employee at a creditor of the brewery and tricked them into wiring them money, apparently several times. So anyway, the brewery is working with the officials in the U.S. and Canada to try and recover the money. I hope they are successful, but you never know with these things. And they don't seem to think that uh, for sure that they're going to get it. So. I did see another article that referred to it as a wire fraud scam. And then I saw these other articles that, that said cyber this and that. It seemed like maybe the intention was to take the pre- take the safe face for the brewery, maybe. That's kind of what I thought. So, it's not yeah. really so much an attack. But uh, so you brought this one to my attention, Tim. Two beer distributors signed an exclusive deal for pouring rights at UNC Wilmington. So each distributor paid 10000 in cash to the University of North Carolina Wilmington Athletics for exclusive pouring rights, special PA announcements, and a variety of advertising. And what makes this story interesting is that it looks like the kind of pay-for-play stuff that has gotten other distributors in legal trouble before. Usually a beer distributor cannot pay money to a retailer in exchange for exclusive sales of their products. So, yeah, and you asked uh, our... So I reached out to a friend of the show, Taylor Harper, who is the Georgia Craft Beer Lawyer, to ask him about this. And, Brian, this is a little loophole in the system. A distributor cannot pay a retailer to carry exclusive rights to their products. But the reason there's kind of a loophole in this situation is we're talking about a sports arena. The deal is with the sports arena, and then the sports arena hires their vendors, like Aramark or one of those. Yeah. So there's no money being paid to a retailer, and apparently it's very common that you pay something for advertising, this and that. So not uncommon, a little loophole to where these distributors can get it. So I think it's a bit of BS there, Brian, but the way the laws are written, it's totally allowed. It really does look like that. Yeah. Well, you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break, but we will be back very soon to talk with Marshall from Brulossi. Is your brewery or restaurant pouring all jacked up? Your foundation needs to be protected from heat, chemicals, and other contaminants. At the same time, you want to make sure it's slip resistant and you can clean up your messes with soap and water. You know who to call? ResTech. We've been manufacturing poured-in-place flooring since 2002, and we've got solutions to fit any facility's needs. Go on and visit our website at ResTech.net. That's R-E-S-T-E-K.net. Drop us a line and we will come to you for a free evaluation. Oh, yeah. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Be the man! You gotta beat the man! Woo! Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you miss an episode, don't worry. All episodes are available as a podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting app and never miss a show. Now let's get back to our talk with Marshall Schott of Brewlosophy. Marshall, thanks again for joining us. We're really looking forward to, to talking beer and experimentation with you today. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the same thing. Awesome, man. Well, I tell you what, the first question, for those that may not be familiar with Brewlosophy, can you share a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do there? Yeah. Brewlosophy was never originally intended to be what it is today, which I guess a lot of good things kind of start that way. I've been homebrewing since 2003. Uh, I kind of cut my chops up in Bellingham, Washington. And, you know, after about uh, 10 years of doing that kind of stuff, I was looking for something to kind of keep me interested, I guess, and started experimenting. I built out two identical systems so that I could, you know, brew dual batches next to each other and and really control 
uh, extraneous variables and whatnot, and started doing these comparisons and serving them to my friends blind. And over a couple of months, it just kind of built into this thing. And now we're, you know, over here publishing a couple articles every week. And, and uh, we have our own podcast that we produce a, a weekly episode as well. So our main focus is on experimentation, though. That kind of takes different forms, and I'm sure we'll get a little bit into that in a bit. Yeah, that's one thing we're going to ask. I think uh, what I know you best for, and I have looked at some of the other resources, but I'm really interested in the experiments that we talked a, li a little bit about earlier. Right. And uh, this is something where you, you take some kind of data or a, a preconceived notion or, or common industry understanding and kind of see if it holds up. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that is, that's correct. That, that's the, our, our bread and butter, as it were, uh, probably our most popular series, most what we're known for. Uh, where we take uh, typically a single variable and we could, you know, you could take something uh, like uh, fermentation temperature, the temperature at which you uh, hold your beer while it's actually fermenting. And there's a lot of talk around how important that is. And I don't think anybody would disagree that on some level, that is a very important variable. Well, we've gone and done basically, and we've done this with pretty much every variable in brewing at this point, is we'll take two batches and ferment one at the ideal temperature, and then we'll ferment the other one at some crazy temperature. And then we serve those beers to unsuspecting participants and have them perform uh, what's called a triangle test, uh, which is pretty simple. You, you serve three beers, two are the same, one's different in different colored cups, and you ask them to identify the one that's different. They know nothing about the experiment or, or, or even the beer that they're drinking. So. Now, a lot of this sounds pretty scientific. Do you have a scientific background? I think you mentioned you're in psychology. Is that correct? Yeah, I have a PhD in uh, psychology. I practice uh, clinical psychology as my day job. We can't just do beer all day. Oh, maybe one day. Maybe one day, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I've, I've always had kind of a penchant for the more sciencey empirical side of things. You know, I think even more interesting to me and what really m keeps me motivated with this is the, the bias stuff and the, the kind of the person component, which kind of does speak to my profession as well. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated by perception. I'm fascinated by uh, the impact that, say, expectation can have on what somebody perceives. So, for example, if if I serve you a beer and you're blindfolded, and I tell you that it's a Irish stout, a Guinness, you are likely going to experience that beer on some level as being Guinness-like, even if it's a Bud Light. You know, um, and and that that whole concept and phenomenon really does just fascinate me. You know, one thing I've noticed it. it I think it's kind of related. I may be totally talking out the other side of my head here, but like, let's say you have a glass of beverage and you pick that beverage up and you take a sip and you think it is a nice cold Pilsner, but what's actually in the glass is lemonade. You for mentally forget you have lemonade. It just tastes horrible. Yeah. At first. <laughs> or like hot coffee. Right. Because you're <laughs> expecting, you're expecting Pilsner. It may be the best lemonade in the world, but if that's not what your palate's expecting to hit it, and I guess on the flip side, if you tell someone this is what this is, that's what you're going to be looking for. There was a time, I've told this story before, where I judged a homebrew competition. I judged the Saison category. And uh, we were served a beer. We were sampling it. And I'm like, oh, there's, oh, okay, that's not bad. I was like, there's a little bit of, of apple notes in there, a little cidery character. And it took us a couple sips in, and me and the other judge kind of looked at it, and we were like, that's a cider. You know, <laughs> Straight that, up that a cider. Had, that had yeah. been mislabeled. Somehow, and we were drinking a cider, but we tried to convince ourselves that it was a saison for a little bit. Right. Well, I can't tell you how many homebrew competitions I've judged and just knew that I was drinking a sour beer when it wasn't intended to be. That's a judging joke. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is a great sour. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Every, every category can be a good sour. Yeah, category. Right. yeah there you go. Yeah. Well, or a terrible sour. That but, Exactly. Yes. <laughs> that whole idea of the further away the, the two things are, uh, the more divergent they are, the more likely you are to be shocked as opposed to the closer they are. And the weird thing about beer is many styles as there are out there. And, you know, I would contend that maybe something like a, uh, you know, a pale lager is going to be pretty far away from a dark sour or something like that. But the closer they are, and, and beer tends to be pretty close in terms of overall character, the more difficult it really is to parse things out. And so, you know, a lot of the blowback we get, which it's not much, but the, the squeaky wheels tend to be louder than the people who just go along with it. Sure. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the blowback that we get has to do with, well, you're only manipulating one variable. And in brewing, there's so many variables. Well, our interest is just in that one variable because a lot of these things like fermentation temperature and whatnot do get a lot of focus, you know, and, I, and I, so I think it's interesting for us to be able to say, well, wow, this is what happened when we fermented, say, a Pilsner at uh, 19C or 66 degrees Fahrenheit uh, compared to fermenting it at, at 10C or 50 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know how you could possibly determine the, the effects of a change unless you isolate the change. So maybe it's just me, but that doesn't seem rational at all. It's like, of course, you have to isolate that. You have to do the same thing for two things and isolate one thing if you want to know what impact it really has when you change it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Otherwise, I mean, also, you're, you just know what you're talking about, apparently, because that's the way it's done you know, the world over uh, is variable isolation. But if you don't do that, then you can't say with any degree of confidence that it, that the reason these beers tasted different was because of this variable that we were playing with. Now, right. So that's because we were told, Brian, when we started homebrewing, when you change a recipe, you don't go in there and say, well, I'm going to add a little bit of more of this malt. I'm going to add a little bit of more of that. I'm going to cut here. I'm going to change these hops. I'm going to change boil times. Because if you do all of that, you don't know which piece of that had an impact on your recipe. So just, exactly. You know, exactly. Totally. Yeah. It's hard to not do it though. As as a guy who's done home brewing, it's hard not to just put all of your ideas in because it's it not, takes weeks and, and weeks and weeks to get that end result. It's so. not hard, but I do remember you and I having this Always conversation hard, many it's times very difficult. <laughs> in the past. <laughs> Something I want to ask about, and you brought it up earlier, and it's I've always been curious about that. The triangle test, I'm intrigued by that. Why do you give them two of the same thing and then one of the opposite thing? I'm sure there's a reason for it. And statistically, it's significant, but I always was puzzled by that. Why two of one and one of the other? Right. The idea there is to make it such that uh, if, you give, uh, if you give two two samples and you tell somebody, the only option, first off, if I'm giving you one version and, and, an, and another version and those are the only two, you, there's no discrimination that can happen. And what we're looking for is the ability for people to discriminate a difference, to be able to tell whether there's a difference. We're not even necessarily asking people... Uh, we do ask, but but it's not what we focus on. Which one's better or which one do you like more? That's kind of gets into subjectivity and all that fun stuff. But what we're looking for is, can you tell a difference between these? So if I give you just two beers, uh, 50% randomly, if I serve two of the same exact beer to some, 50% are going to pick one, 50% are going to pick the other. With the triangle test, I won't get too much into the statistics side of it, but you know, you're looking for a a degree more than 33%, right? Because uh, that would be random sure. guessing, would be 33.3%. Uh, a certain degree more to select the odd one out, the one that's different, in order for us to say with some confidence, yeah, this, it does seem that this variable does uh, seem to, to you know, impart some sort of a difference. Now, 
The triangle test is nice. It's not the only sensory analysis or discrimina- uh, discrimination test out there, but it is the one that seems to fit what we're focused on the most, which is beer, not cancer. And, uh, and it works. It's, it's simple enough to employ. Now, a lot, th- there's a reason a lot of people on Earth are doing it. It does require some setup and you got to have the, the will to you know, want to go and bug all your friends all the time. But Got to do it, man. Yeah. It, it gets the job done, right? Yeah, and it does it well. It's, a, uh, it's definitely an uh, industry standard as well. Awesome. Well, this is the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take a break, but we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little more in detail about some of these experiments with Marshall from Brulossip. Brian and Tim, the beer guys. If you're like us, no lunch or dinner is complete without a pint or two of craft beer. Which is why Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth are always on our list. Tim, why do they call it Truck and Tap? Well, the tap part is easy, Brian. They've got 18 of them. As for the truck part, that's where it gets interesting. Truck and Tap features your favorite Atlanta area food trucks, so you're getting a different menu every day. Truck and Tap in downtown Woodstock, Alpharetta, and Duluth. Truckandtap.com. Let them know that the beer guys sent you. Craft beer forged with a reverence for tradition and new styles that start a revolution. Ironmonger Brewing. The brewers at Ironmonger Brewing pride themselves at being masters of barrel-aged, hoppy, and sour beers. They invite you to their tap room in Marietta, Georgia to taste and see. Also visit their barrel room for an intimate drinking experience with great live entertainment. Keep up to date on all things Ironmonger by liking them on Facebook. Ironmonger Brewing. Establishing a new standard in craft beer. the beer guys on facebook twitter and instagram i didn't enjoy it at all now back to the beer guys radio show welcome back to the beer guys radio show i want to give a quick shout out to one of our great radio affiliates wuvr 1490 a.m in lebanon new hampshire catch beer guys radio on wuvr every saturday at 10 p.m local time now back to our talk with marshall shot of brewlosophy Brian, we got to do a new england tour we do. i think we've got yes. a few stations up that way now we could we could run up the coast visit our affiliates and drink all we, the good beer i think we could sketch out a path yeah we could make it happen effectively we could make do that happen. yes well marshall we're, we're talking experiments here and uh, we wanted to dive in with you i had a question for you uh about a, a common thing that new homebrewers want into i think every home brewer has had the dilemma or been directed by somebody uh, as to whether to brew extract or all oh yeah in fact we send out an annual survey and i believe i don't have it in front of me now but i believe uh, on our 2019 results, uh, something along the lines of 70 plus percent of people start off using extract, which for those out there who don't have any experience in homebrewing is literally like a very, very thick syrup that uh, provides pretty much all of your fermentables. So you don't have to deal with many grains, uh, some people any grains, but but yeah, uh, it is a common one for sure. <laughs> now you mentioned the syrup, so I guess I'll, this brings up a question on my end. We know they have both LME and DME, uh, liquid malt and dry malt. You mentioned the syrup. Do you have a preference for the liquid malt extract? Oh, so I used to, in fact. Because of our experiments, I've sort of had a change of heart on that one. And when I was cutting my chops in homebrewing, I got started like a lot of people do using extract with uh, some grains to kind of uh, add some character to the beer. And I was told back in 2003 by the homebrew shop owner that you only use liquid malt extract, that dry stuff is crap. And will produce a bad beer. And so, you know, for the, my first 15, 20 batches of beer was all liquid malt extract. 
uh, the syrup, if you will. It was last year, late last year, earlier this year, I did an experiment comparing 100% Pilsner malt extracts. Uh, one was liquid, one was dry. Made them. I did my best to have the original gravities match so that the ending alcohol levels would be the same. And uh, wh- what we found were that they, the two were indeed different, distinguishable by the people, if you will. And I had a fairly strong preference for the dry malt extract over the, uh, over the liquid malt extract. Really? Let's okay. see. You have your opinion set, but you do a blind test and, and find out there, right? Absolutely. And we all try, uh, you know, we got uh, seven contributors, myself included, who are all working around Brewlosophy, doing these experiments all the time. And one of the things that we always do is, is do our best to semi-blind test ourselves with the triangle test, whether that means having our kids or our wife service the triangle test. And, and this was one that I did multiple times and was fairly confident in every, uh, in every test that I did. Uh, and sure enough, I was able to get, you know, pick out the odd beer out. And, and yeah, my preference was handily for the, the, the dry malt extract one. You know, I think one of the things for me is if I'm, again, we were talking about expectation earlier. And when I hear Pilsner malt, I expect a pale, nice, light yellow, you know, maybe straw colored uh, beer. And the liquid malt extract, 100% Pilsner malt, wasn't too old, uh, had more of an amber or copper color to it, which just kind of bummed me out a little bit. That's Probably from the extra from making it the you know the extract process. I imagine that some that puts involved. a little Maillard on yeah. there. Well, say. they so so the we learned this in the or I learned this in the in the uh, run up to that article. I did some research and started poking around with uh, talking to some people from Brees and stuff. They actually don't. There's very little heat in the liquid malt extract process. Uh, in fact, the dry malt extract is just a further downstream product from liquid malt extract. So I don't know. If it has to do with some form of oxidation or uh, some other function of age, but it certainly is or will produce a darker colored beer than uh, the dry malt version of the same extract. Marshall, I think you're going to have to make your own extract and do some experimentation. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what? I, mean? I I work in a prison. Uh, I would just make Pruno with some sugar and juice. I Pr- think. Pruno <laughs> extract, yes. Have Pr- you done an experiment with, well, beer mint? I'm not sure if it qualifies, but... Ex-Pruno mint? Ex-Pruno mint. Have you done an ex-Pruno mint? I'll tell you, the closest that I've gotten is that the, the way that I make cider is uh, I, I go by the cheapest preservative free apple juice that i can find at my local grocery store and ferment five gallons of that with saison yeast and everyone loves it it's a huge hit okay of that course sounds in a toilet like, tank right i mean that's you have to you have, you to, have to, right? to that sounds like the way brian and i make mead we just <laughs> use the you've probably seen the recipe they call it joe's ancient orange mead oh yeah oh yeah which is you throw a bunch of fruit and honey and water and spices and fleischmann's bread, bread yeast, yeast. Yes. and just go <laughs> with it so and people love our mead so i shouldn't have said that on the air now people are like oh they don't they think we're beautiful mead makers. We just, well, we do we blend just, our ingredients together we nicely. Do professionally, so, you know, it, it is bread yeah. mix or bread yeast, but it that's is it. everything else. Too. It works well. It works well. But, yeah, those, uh, those twelve minute brew days. Yeah, those are the best. That's right. You gotta love those. You know, we have done. We're like, we don't have time to brew today. Let's let's throw together a batch of mead. I'd love. Yeah. I think easier. I think we still have an, a four year old thing we of do, mead we in do a have carboy, a carboy that needs to be there. bottled. And we'll get to it. It ages marvelously, so it's probably amazing. Oh yeah. So, Marshall, to kind of wrap up the the extract all grain, homebrewers, when you're starting out, you're being told, like you said, hey, you got to go all grain if you want good beer. So a two-part question, is it a better beer or a different beer if you go all grain versus extract? That, that's a loaded question. Uh, and I'll tell you why. It's, it's, the greatness is in the eye of the beer holder is how I like to look sure. at it. If you think it tastes good, then that's all that matters. Now, my personal opinion, which, you know, take this with a grain of salt, is that 
all grain does seem to produce and and our our some of our experimentation holds this up some of it doesn't we've done quite a few all grain versus extract comparisons in my opinion the the all grain beers do tend to come out tasting just more beery uh but i've had some fantastic beers made with extract and if you can't get away with making small batch maybe brew in a bag all grain beers then by all means use extract well you definitely got to start somewhere so if you start off with extract you can still make a good beer and Move on to all grain if you feel you need to, or just stick with your extract, right? Yeah, absolutely. Whatever works for you. That's what I tell people. And you know what? The, the only thing that I'll contest is when somebody says they don't go all grain because uh, it's too difficult. Uh, that, that I would like to, you know, I like to tell people, no, it's actually about equally as, as easy as extract, which takes maybe 45 minutes longer. I always thought it was satisfying. Yes. Mashing the grains and, and all of that. It just made, you were creating something. You were, you were an artisan, Marshall. An yeah. artisan. <laughs> you feel like a brewer. Yeah. Yeah. The, the ones where you actually crack open a can and dump something in like it's, I don't know, there's, there's something unsatisfying about that. Versus Anybody can make <laughs> yeah. instant soup. Exactly. That's right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I heat up cans of chili all the time. Even I'm you. Like, <laughs> I don't get any satisfaction. Well, I do get satisfaction out of that, to be honest. But uh, so were you saying that you had actually done like head to head comparisons or experiments between, you know, some form of extract brew and an identical all grain brew and compare the two? Or have you not done that? We've done that a couple of times. Uh, and they tend to be some of our more popular, uh, more popular experiments. I think because you know extract brewers are, and we get this a lot. They're they're looking for that confirmation that what they're doing is okay, you know. And of course, it's okay. The first one we did though was was an interesting one where I just I tried to keep it as simple as possible. I went 100 percent Maris Otter extract, and I went 100 percent Maris Otter all grain. Again, the beers looked remarkably different in the end, and. Uh, you know, I served them to to my friends, and we. This was before we really uh, brought on the the triangle test, but people were generally unable to tell the beers apart. Surprisingly to me, um, so so there you have it. I mean, you know, that was a one kind of way to support the, the use of extract. I did another one where we made the popular what clone is that one out of the Midwest? Zombie dust clone, I think they zombie call it. Dust, zombie yeah. dust, yeah. So I did a their extract clone kit of that, and then uh, from Great Fermentations, and then they sent me their all grain version as well. Uh, to compare them. And, uh, and that one, we did find that it was significant. So people were able to tell them apart, but, but there was no you know, big spread in terms of preference. So it really does, you know, like we were talking about earlier, that subjective component, what you like is what you like. And if you tend to like, I guess, a slightly richer tasting beer, maybe a more malt, a more malt forward beer, then maybe go with extract if you're on the fence. But if you like that more craft beer flavor that toasty bready thing then i think you're going to get you have better chances of getting that all grain a lot of people describe it as the extract twang that's yeah you've got a little twang there from extract yeah the twang thing is something that i've spent a lot of time talking about and trying to reproduce the only time that i'm ever able to get that twangy thing is when i use what just happens to be the type of yeasts that i think a lot of you know starting kits include and that's things like uh, dan star's nottingham that dry yeast, I, I get a twang from that one. I get it from some other dry yeast as well. So I'm not so sure that's from the extract as much as it is perhaps the yeast and then, and then maybe even elements of contamination. But I could be wrong, you know. Okay. Get you some good yeast. That's one way to be yeah. safe about it. Well, you're listening to the Beer Guys Radio Show. We do need to take another break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about the other things that Brewlosophy does. We'll be back right after this. Hey. 
Have you ever thought about owning your own brewery but don't know what it takes to get one built? We're Storytime Construction, and we build breweries. We're Georgia's most experienced and hands-on contractors when it comes to building new breweries and tap rooms or expanding existing breweries. We offer full build-outs, remodeling, and additions, as well as consulting and construction management. Give us a call at 770-733-4343. Storytime Construction. We build breweries. Follow the Beer Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. Now, back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Beer Guys Radio Show. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash beerguys. Patrons get cool perks like Beer Guys swag, commercial-free episodes, and even bonus episodes that aren't available anywhere else. And we got another one coming up, Tim. We, oh, do. we do. It's going to be an do. interesting We've one. We've got... A from the seller, yes, and it is all about Brian uh, Sang Noir, twenty fourteen, twenty fourteen Cascade Sang Noir from the seller. Get our opinions on it. It's a wild ride, Brian. It is. Might even be controversial. I it don't could know. Be. We'll, we'll, we'll see. find out. We'll see. So back to Marshall. We've been talking about a lot of interesting experiments. I got to know what is what's been your favorite of the experiments that you've done. Oh, that's that's a uh, question that I get quite often. And so I've, I've got a, uh, a kind of a loaded uh, response to it. Probably the one that, that has impacted the, the way that I brew in the most weird way would be our fermentation temperature experiments, particularly when we're using uh, lager yeasts. I remember approaching that one, God, what was it now, four years ago, four and a half years ago, using the Pilsner Urkel strain, which, you know, you talk to any lager lover who brews beer and they'll tell you you have to ferment that at 50 degrees fahrenheit or cooler you don't want to go any warmer for fear of producing esters and so i did one at typical ale temperatures compared to one fermented at 50 degrees you could not tell these beers apart for the life of you uh, okay. and i not at all and 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 i people just poo poo it and and they people got up in arms it was one of the first times i, I think we actually some people off uh, and and we did it without intent, uh, but after that one, we ended up doing a series trying to prove ourselves wrong, as it were, a series of lager fermentation temperature experiments, and all but a couple have come back non-significant, and those that have, have been some fairly unique yeasts. And, and interestingly, in the ones that have come back significant, when you go back and you ask the people, the participants who are actually doing the triangle test, which one tastes more like a lager to you, typically they're picking the one that was fermented warm, so make of that what you will. But uh, that's been one of the more shocking ones to me, yeah. That was, I was actually going to ask you about, like, your quick lager method, which is something, you know, we read out there, and I'm going to be honest with you, Marshall, the first time I read it, I'm like, there's no way this works. (laughs) There's just no way. And I I was going to ask you, have you ever upset anybody? Because you're bucking 500 plus, you're you're going against Ryan Hoskabot level stuff here. (laughs) Well, that's the, therein lies the issue, right? Is that there's this tradition, this dogma that comes with things that have been done for so long. And one of the ways that, that we've been kind of thinking about it lately is that, uh, you know, sometimes you develop these methods because you have to use them. And then over time, if you don't make any changes, uh, modern day brewers in this case are going to look back and say, well, it's not necessarily that we have to do that for the beer character. It just so happens that that yeast happened to function really well at cooler temperatures. So we selected it. I don't know if that's necessarily true in the case of lager beers, but I can tell you that since we've been doing our experimentation, and I'm not sure if it's been inspired by us or not, but there's been a lot of research 
coming out of you know labs and whatnot saying, well, yeah, there, there are these different strains of Pistorianus or lager yeast that as some are far more robust than we originally believed. And we're just sensory guys going, well, I, yeah, I ferment my lagers at 66 degrees Fahrenheit nowadays and they come out great. So, I mean, I've won awards with beers fermented that warm. So That's just crazy. Do you tell them after the fact or I guess maybe you don't have an opportunity? <laughs> it would just be fantastic to say, oh, by the way, I guess what I did with this. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, in, in these scenarios where we're able to do that, I, I love doing that. Um, what's what's fun for me, we have a club called the Brew Club, B-R-U Club. And uh, so those a, a lot of those people focus on what we refer to as short and shoddy brew days. And they'll submit those beers that they make using this very abbreviated, a blasphemous, if you will, brewing method. And it's fantastic to see them taking home medals for beers, particularly lagers fermented warm like that. It's, it's funny to me because people get so caught up in the way that they do things or the way that they were taught. And rather than actually testing it out for themselves, they'll hit the keyboard and, and just yell at us for, you know, causing them to question their ways. That's the easiest thing to do when <laughs> yes, you think yeah. about it. I don't behind mind the it. keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. You know, like you said, though, making people getting upset and it's kind of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Some people say this works. This is the way I've done it. This is the way my grandpappy did it. My grandpappy before him, you know, that's right. And, and I've even seen it in the homebrew clubs. You get some of the older members that maybe they've been brewing since the 70s or even some of the 60s. And they do certain things. You know, one thing I know that when we were brewing, Brian was a big thing was the need for a secondary fermentation. Do you need I, to transfer, you know, give it a secondary and all of that? Oh, rack it on the secondary. Yeah, do yeah, you need yeah, to do yeah. that? And there's just certain things that people, hey, I've been brewing this way for 40 years. Yeah. I'm not looking to learn anything new. I know my process. I know what I'm doing. That's so. right. And to them, I say, then carry on. Do what you want. But carry I'm gonna, on. I'm going to have a beer that, that I, my brew day was two hours and, and it was packaged a week and a half later and tastes better than yours. And that's cool. I mean, if you want to keep doing it your way. And that's what we're seeing nowadays is these people... Almost be, without, uh, I guess, necessarily trying to or wanting to, they're questioning the ideas. And, and you see this shift in homebrewing in particular. But I hear from professional brewers. I don't know if they'd want me to name drop them, but I hear from them all the time asking about the stuff we're doing and the applicability on a larger scale. And, uh, you know, this isn't just stuff homebrewers are thinking about. And I think it, to be able to simplify stuff, yeah, don't fix it if it's not broken. But but just because it's not broken doesn't mean it can't be advanced, I guess. And, and maybe improved and advanced, right? Improved, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, that's something that talking about the pro brewers, I mean, if a pro brewer can get an excellent beer, can get as good or better results with a different method that also saves time, energy, labor, that's what Why they'll want to do. You know, they're they're a business, you know, whether or not people want to admit it and we see it, you know, people get on their keyboards when a brewery sells and we know <laughs> yeah. that there's a lot of passions there but yeah it's a, brewing's a business yeah well on the other side of that coin for the professional brewer is that they are uh, oftentimes there's two things that, that i've that the common things that i hear are one they they don't have the ability to risk screwing up an entire batch uh, by doing that they're losing money and they're losing sales and i get that so they usually will stick with what's known to do a good job but the other thing is there's a very strong social component in the brewing world same thing with home brewing if you step outside the bounds of what is accepted as the way to do it you are now setting yourself up to be called out you know among all your peers so that I, you know to me that plays a role as well so how much has your experimentation and just your processes here of doing this how much has that changed your brew day did you are you being serious when you say you've got a two-hour brew day now? Yeah. The majority of the way that I brew nowadays is what we, again, we call it short and shoddy. So I cut down the typical 60-minute mash rest down to about 25 minutes. I boil for 20 to 25 minutes instead of an hour. 
I'm using all electric nowadays, no fire. And that, uh, that tends to be quite a bit quicker because I'm on 240 volt. Uh, I pitch my yeast into warm wort, about 75 degrees Fahrenheit. I, yeah, if, if I'm making a lager, I ferment it at 66 degrees Fahrenheit. I ferment most of my beers that warm. Yeah, and then I, I do everything, pressure transfers, because it's easier for me. And, and uh, beers, I, I find with gelatin, that's another big one that people complain a lot about is, oh, if you do that, you're pulling out hop aroma. No, you're not. We haven't been able to prove that at all. Um, so all of my beers are, are grain to glass literally within about 10 to 12 days. That's fantastic. That's an absolutely insane <laughs> And blasphemous, there, so. I think, too. We'll have so to tell blasphemous. Jason yeah. Pell- well, yeah, we'll tell Jason Pellet at Orpheus about that 25 the long boil. boil. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. He's a brewer, Marshall. He's known for uh, super long, 24-hour boils on these stouts. Oh, at least, things yeah. Things like that. Oh yeah, yeah, I've heard I've heard people making Scottish ales and stout doing that, and I'm I'm sure that there is a, they're getting something out of it. I'm not questioning that. I'm not right. interested in doing it myself, but <laughs> yeah. sure, nobody got time for that. That's right. So, That's right. Yeah. I, I got to ask you if you have any recommended experimentations for homebrewers, anything that people can do at home to uh, I don't know get some of the benefits that you're talking about, short of just you know reading your website. Yeah, well, you know, I have a I have a full hour long talk that I give when I when I travel around giving giving talks about beer stuff, but I'll, I'll try to condense that into a, a minute or so. There are different ways to uh, to view experimentation. One way is kind of like you guys mentioned at the top of the show is experimenting with new ingredients. That's single batch experimentation. You're just trying new stuff. But the way that we like to focus on it is, you know, you're com- doing comparative experimentation. So you have two different products in the end, or potentially two different products. And that can be as easy as making a five-gallon batch of your normal beer, but splitting it between two, two and a half-gallon fermenters, pitching different yeasts, maybe steeping some uh, some specialty grains and seeing the impact of that, but actually doing some comparisons. There are so many different things that homebrewers question. All you have to do is you know go to go to Reddit or go to Homebrew Talk or something like that, and you'll see a million questions. And those a lot of that stuff is easy to test out, but people don't want to take the risk. So my my thing beyond uh, suggesting a specific variable is are you willing to take the risk? And if so, then you can start to look for whatever it is that you're really interested in experimenting with. Well, Marshall, thanks so much for taking a few moments to talk to us. And if people want to you know, follow along and see what's happening with, uh, with Brewlosophy, what, where should they go? Uh, you can head over to brewlosophy.com. That's the website that we've got running. We publish two articles a week over there. One is always an experiment. One is something else. And of course, we've got the Brewlosophy podcast as well. And that is B-R-U-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y dot com, right? That's right. Good stuff. Well, Marshall, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great conversation and keep on experimenting. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Beer Guys Radio Show. Coming up next week, Brian, we're getting crazy. We're going to be talking to Peru's Chelawasi Brewing Company. Wow. Yeah. For more craft beer info, follow us online. We are Beer Guys Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. Have a great week, and don't forget to drink local. Cheers.